The first time I was ever given management responsibility, I think I abused it. I think like most people do, you know, you kind of let the power go to your head a little bit and you feel a little bit um, like a boss and you've got some preconceptions of how bosses should be. But very quickly I learned that's not the way to manage, right? All of our managers, as standard now, go through leadership training on mental health, working with colleagues to understand themselves better and understand their environments better. After this training goes out, you can just see there's a step change in terms of the way the managers work with their colleagues, the way the managers interact with their workforces. If you want the best out of people, you've really got to be helping them and coaching them in the right way. Hello there and welcome to Mental Health at Work, the podcast where company leaders reveal the mental health stories that shaped them and their workplaces. This week we welcome Abbas Gerard, People Director at Motif, who opens up about a shocking event he witnessed firsthand and how this experience drives his passion for making a positive impact on people at work. This podcast is brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health care for the whole team. Quick content warning, this episode includes a story involving suicide. So why don't we start, like, maybe you can intro yourself a bit, who you are, what you do, so we get to know you a bit better. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, firstly. So I'm Abbas. I'm currently the people director of a fast-growing e-commerce business called Motif. My journey started many many years ago at school i was an athlete and went to a university on a scholarship to become a professional athlete and one of the first interactions i had with a psychologist or really starting to understand that side of life was at a tournament where i was not performing particularly well i was uh, i was okay i was kind of middle of the road you know i was kind of finishing fifth or sixth in every competition. All right. And one of my uh, coaches put me in touch with, a, with an amazing psychologist who spent a long time with me outside of training, getting my, my brain in order, my understanding of um, what I need to do, how I can beat uh, my other competitors, how I can perform a little bit better. And it really helped, you know. Fundamentally, I didn't change any of my physical training. I was training very hard. But mentally, I was in a much better shape. And I went on to win a lot more regularly. I like the feeling of winning. And um, that was my first interaction with any kind of brain coaching or mental health. And it really helped me both succeed. But then also when things didn't work out, I also had the resilience to then you know, push through that and be a little bit stronger mentally to be able to perform at the next event. So yeah, after that, I held a number of jobs. So I've worked across consulting, across retail and financial services, all within people leadership roles. And there's been a consistent theme throughout my career, which has been focusing on employee engagement and employee performance. And those two things are you know inextricably linked with having a strong mental fortitude, a strong mental attitude in terms of everything that you do. So that, that was my journey up until today. I think there's been kind of a handful of events in my life that have shaped the person that I am and also then shaped the people and HR strategies within the businesses that I've worked in. I think one of my first major events came 
about five or six years into my career and I was um I was doing the daily commute as many of us do I got to East Croydon train station which is in South London for anyone who knows East Croydon it's a very busy train <laughs> station and like many people running a little bit late for the train so there's 20 or 30 of us running down this long platform at East Croydon station the first carriage is the one that um is the closest to the exit at Victoria or London Bridge. So usually I kind of walk right up to the top of the platform, but in this day I was a little bit late, so I had to hang back a little bit. And there was a chap standing next to me and, you know, it was, it was quite early. You're not quite with it, with your senses. You're kind of just going through the daily motion and something just didn't feel quite right. And you can see this chap next to me um, walk towards the train a little bit quicker than you know, the train hadn't stopped yet, you know, it's still coming onto the platform. Unfortunately, he, he jumped in front of the train. And seeing and hearing and feeling that, you know, left a, a big mark on me, right? Um, as it would with anyone. You know, the, the saddest thing about it was the staff, the train station staff, who were all excellent, by the way, um, were so quick to react. And the quickness of their reaction just told me that this is not uh, a one-off. You know, this happens quite regularly. So it got me thinking a lot about mental health, men's mental health and suicide rates. And I really wanted to make sure that nobody that I know ever goes through that pain that this is their last option. You know, that is the last thing that they can do. Um, so since then, you know, I've taken on roles within charities and other organizations to help prevent um, suicide. But also a lot of these um, challenges and problems that people are facing when they're when they're committing suicide stem from you know, not being happy in their lives. And we spend such a long time in our lives at work that you know, those two things are, are quite closely linked. So people strategy has always been close to my heart it's always been about achieving good business objectives through people initiatives but uh, i extended that through to how do we make people as strong and resilient and achieve their full capabilities and their full potential so that they're not feeling like there's nowhere to go there's no one to speak to or there's no help that they can receive that forces them into a position where um, they have to you know, take the strongest action. So that's helped shape the people strategies that I've um, worked on in the past kind of five or six years. So yeah, it was a rather morbid story to start. I'm sorry about that. No, thank you so much for sharing an experience like this. I'm, I'm guessing it's, it's not easy. As you were talking, you were giving so much detail I could I, I was almost like there with you, right? And obviously it's nice to hear that that made you focus your time and your effort and, and like go more mm -hmm. towards this awareness of people going through these things and this awareness that this is not one off. At the same time, I'm thinking, wow, how were you after that? Because that is a very shocking event. It's a traumatic event. So how did you cope the following days? How, how was it? I think going back to my sporting days back at university, it helped having a coach. It helped having a confidant 
I'm a family man. I've got a brilliant wife who is my rock. It helps having that support network around you to be able to speak about these problems and these challenges that you're having in your life. I think one thing that I, I learned how to do was deal with grief. And it's a skill that you don't know that you have until it's thrust upon you. I'm very lucky to have both my parents alive. I know one day I won't be so lucky. We're all going to go through that. What I am comfortable with is that I know that when that worst day happens, I'll know how to grieve for them. Um, I've seen friends, I've seen family members who have just not been able to cope with the grief of losing a close one. So at the risk of sounding a little cold hearted, I, I, I kind of, I still went to work that day. Um, I focused my energy and my mind on really understanding the psyche of that individual that had done that terrible thing. But then it helped shape, you know, as I say, the, the, the strategies going forward to make sure that we identify these challenges a little bit quicker. We're able to remedy those if we can, or signpost people in the right direction to get the appropriate help that they need. So I think that there was, um, there was clearly some good coming out of it. And hopefully I'd, I'd like to think that I've helped many more, you know, colleagues or friends or family members that have been in similar situations over the next few years. And through some of the work that myself and teams I've worked with have done, even if it's just uh, an arm around the shoulder or pointing in the right direction or a, uh, a little note to say that you're valued and we care for you or just a bit of education around the whole topic. I'm hopeful that there's been some good come out of it. Yeah, it, it touches me what you're saying. I remember, I don't know, a few months ago, I was talking with my therapist about, I was having a rough time with processing or with thinking about death, right? And how to process mm -hmm. grief, exactly what you were saying. And we were talking about how difficult it is to do it in our culture, because it's something that is not normalized or that we speak openly. And it's it's more like a taboo. So it's very difficult to, to process something like that, which is so natural. And mm -hmm. she was telling me about different cultures where they choose when and where to die, right? So she was telling mm -hmm. me about this book. I don't remember. I wish I remember the name of the book, but it was the story about this tribe where the grandfather was saying, I want to die the 19th of June, let's say, or whatever. Please remind me. And the family would say like, it is 19th. So he would say goodbye to everyone, go to the mountain. I don't know what I believe there, but it is true that at least opened my eyes in terms of how far we are from processing in a healthy and natural way, right? And sometimes we don't speak and it's very difficult to talk about these topics. So when you are saying that you feel like you have the resources to grief, I am wondering how do you do it or how do you learn or what is your process? Yeah, indeed. Um, so I'll come at it from not just a grief perspective, because they're usually, you know, once or twice in a lifetime or maybe a handful more if you're a little bit older in your years but there are other things that colleagues and friends and families and individuals go through on a daily weekly monthly basis how does everyone deal with that you know how do, how do we deal with not just grief but also you know the small day-to-day -day little challenges that everybody faces one thing that i've worked on in my career with organizations that i've been with has been focusing on what is your personality style? What is your natural state? 
Um, whether it's Myers-Briggs or the DIST model or any one of those, I think they're all excellent. And I'd suggest um, anybody listening to this to take on board any of those um, personality profiling tools and really try and understand themselves better because it's not the same for everyone. So there are situations where I'm extroverted, where I like to be around people, I like to re-energize with colleagues, with friends. But there are times where I like to be introverted, where I like to sit by myself and cogitate on a problem, think about how I would have done things a little bit better on the situations that I've dealt with during the day. So it starts with you. It starts with, you know, what is your preferred communication style? What's your preferred energization style, if that's a word? How do you like to be re-energized at the end of a day? How do you like to offload your problems? And these are the important questions that you really need to answer first. So that, that's kind of one side love. That's how I uh, deal with some of my, my challenges on a day-to-day basis. And the mechanisms that I've put in place at organizations that I've worked with in the past uh, and this current organization, I think tap into the different personality styles that we have across the company. We have some great free resources that are available and there's a signposting system to be able to share what those resources are, whether they're online reading tools or whether they're people that you can speak to through the various charities that are available. The other support that can be provided is through line management. Management plays such an important role in any organization. When you become a manager, you're in charge of somebody's career. You're responsible for the well-being and the motivation and the development of that individual. And that's such an important gift that's given to you. The first time I was ever given management responsibility, I think I abused it. I think like most people do, you know, you kind of let the power go to your head a little bit and you feel a little bit um, like a boss and you've got some preconceptions of how bosses should be. But very quickly, I learned that's not the way to manage, right? If you want the best out of people, you've really got to be helping them and coaching them in the right way. So my management style changed from this kind of autocratic approach to much more of a coaching style. And that's a style that I've kept throughout my career. So all of our managers as standard now go through leadership training. This is with an external organization that are accredited and a heavy emphasis of this training. In fact, one of the core modules is on mental health, is on working with colleagues to understand themselves better and understand their environments better. And we've seen an uptick in performance, right? After this training goes out, you can just see there's a step change in terms of the way the managers work with their colleagues, the way the managers interact with their workforces. And there is just more open, flowing, honest communication between the organization. So I'm a big believer in training. I'm a big believer in learning and development. And I found that this module on mental health and on self-awareness and self-development has been really, really strong. It's super great to hear that you make such an investment on training leaders on not only how to lead in terms of management styles and how do you do a one-on-one and how do you do 360s, but also the core mm-hmm. part on how do you handle mental health and difficult conversations with your direct reports. I wanted to go back to when you were sharing your strategies or your resources in order to process grief and you were saying two main things. One was like the support net and I was hearing like the healing effect of just 
opening up mm -hmm. and, and talking and how important that is. And the second one, knowing your needs and respecting them. Sometimes when we ask uh, as therapists, so what do you need? People are like, what do you mean what I need? I don't know what I need. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that is an important one. What do you need? And that can be basic things like I need to rest. I need to be quiet. I need to talk, right? But it's up learning to be connected with your needs. Absolutely. Um, I think within any one organization, you're going to tend to find several different cultures. The organization I'm with at the moment, we have colleagues in 25 different countries. Uh, you're dealing with a lot of cultures. Within those cultures, you're dealing with some baby boomers, some Gen Zs, some Gen Xs, some millennials, lots of millennials. So there isn't a one size fits all. And this is where knowing yourself is so important because, you know, I think back to my parents' working life, whenever I have chats with them about this, there wasn't really a people strategy. HR kind of fell between the cracks. It oh, was yeah. all about business strategy. It was all about financial strategy. It was all about operations. And whenever I'm explaining to them what I do for a living, um, it takes a little bit of time, you know, because they're like, well, you know, is that really important? Is that, and they just deal with things in a different way. So within yeah. companies, you know, you can have lots of different cultures, different um, personality styles. Some may think this is really important. They rely on those mechanisms and toolings that you've put in place. Others may think, oh, you know what, I've got my own mechanism to deal with this stuff. And that's the way I've always done it. And I don't need any of the stuff that you're doing. You know, it might sound very interesting, but no thanks, I've got my own tools to deal with this stuff. Yeah. Now, we, we've talked a lot about some of the, the fundamentals that we need to do. There, there is a bit of fun you can add to this. One thing that we've worked on in my current organization is giving colleagues new experiences, things that they ordinarily wouldn't have done that helps achieve some of those objectives that we've talked about in terms of enabling colleagues to be more self-aware or understand themselves a little bit better. So a few weeks ago, we realized everybody has sprinted very hard for a long time at our company, worked very, very hard, and you could start to see a little bit of burnout across the company. It was nothing that we measured or track, but you could start to see it. You know, colleagues were logging off a little bit earlier. They were coming in a little bit later. You just couldn't see the energy mm -hmm. in the meetings as much as we saw previously, but they delivered some amazing stuff. And the original response to all of this would have been, let's organize a great party. Let's get them drunk. Let's get everybody to <laughs> hang out a little bit because that's what's always been done. Mm -hmm. And that's traditionally kind of worked for most people, but not everybody is the same. So we do celebrate successes. We are going to have a, an amazing party as soon as restrictions are lowered and mm -hmm. you know, we're going to build that excitement up in the right way. But for this particular uh, situation, we thought, let's have a, a health and well-being week. Let's give colleagues uh, a new experience that they may have never tried before or thought about doing before. It's not forced. It's completely voluntary if you want to attend any of these sessions. But we held some yoga sessions. And mm. this was amazing to see 15 or 16 different countries I think we had to attend. Try out some yoga for the first time. We started a running club. So it got people out and we use great apps like Strava to be able to track uh, runs across all these different countries that we have. There's been great engagement on that. We also encourage colleagues to cook home meals a little bit more and take some pictures and share those. So it got people to focus on their 
health and well-being gamify it a little bit because we're all a bit competitive but also it helped um it helped build a, a nice stronger robust culture when colleagues are, are spread all across the world it's sometimes hard to have those water cooler conversations that we all miss but i think this has really helped it's helped build some bridges helped build some relationships that have flourished over the last few weeks and that helps in your commercial worlds as well and if all of this can change people's lives for the better in some small way whether it's through doing a little bit better at work or just knowing themselves a little bit more that they can take in their future careers or in their home life then that's really cool right that's where i get a lot of sense of satisfaction in this job when you see a behavioral change when you see performance going up or when you see managers have a really good conversation or you see a colleague that's been coached on a particular subject then then implements that coaching that's what really motivates and drives me as a people leader what is the area of people operations that you find the most difficult to embed mental health well, that's a good question the kind of consistent theme that i've found amongst colleagues that i found particularly challenging to work with and embed some good practices has been um around reward less recognition but more reward so i think everyone loves to be recognized everyone loves to be put on a pedestal and said yeah, you've done some great work recognized in front of the whole organization i have found in reward conversations so this is bonuses and pay rises that there can be a little bit more friction there can be a little bit more tension in terms of kind of linking and labeling this is the great work that you've done and this is how we value that work sometimes your hands are tied you know you you can't afford to give any more the way i've combated that is to make all of our reward and recognition processes as transparent as possible so that colleagues can see it is completely fair but i have still found some of those conversations to still be quite emotional you know where people feel like they do deserve a little bit more and their efforts are not being as recognized as what they feel it should be there's a fantastic chapter in a book that i love to refer back to every so often i'm sure many people have read it it's called work rules by laszlo bock and he has a fantastic chapter in it called pay unfairly and i do take some of the learnings that he's given from his time at google in terms of paying unfairly but then there is also a transparency around that as well right there are various legal rules in other countries that it means that you can't pay people different uh, amounts of money um, which has always been a little bit alien to me because it should be around your own personal delivery rather than linked to somebody else's good performance and delivery but at the same time yeah i i found that a little bit challenging over the last few months i think a, a challenge for us is we've got to disassociate the link between reward and value just because i pay somebody more doesn't mean i value them more yeah i think compensation or or rewards it, it is a tricky one i share with you that is is a bit like difficult um I, at least my, my approach or the way i see it is that th there is no no one solution that is perfect otherwise everyone would be doing that what i do believe is to make a decision on what is the approach intentionally and being able to express transparently like the reason that mm -hmm. took you to that strategy always saying that it might be not the best strategy but at least this is what we chose as a business explaining the why behind 
and people can disagree, but accept it, right? You spoke about the leadership training and I'm assuming you went through it. So I would like to know your main takeaways on that mental health section on leadership. If I can uh, cast my mind back to when I did this last <laughs> year, um, I, I think the, the first one is definitely you need to be consistent, right? So I am a big fan of having one-to-ones. I hold weekly one-to-ones with all of my direct reports. I hold pretty regular one-to-ones with everyone, all managers in the organization, whether that's on a monthly or quarterly basis. So being consistent is key. Within that consistency, though, you need to show a good coaching style. I think my coaching style at the time was kind of sharing lots of information, getting the colleague to pick out the right bit of information that is going to be relevant for their job, then implementing that information or training or learning that I've just given them. The training for me flipped that on its head a little bit. It told me to sit back, stay quiet, listen a little bit more. You also need to control that conversation as well, because um, it can get quite negative if the individuals had a particularly bad day or feeling a little bit upset about things. So you don't want to spiral down into a you know, self-pity, but you also want to kind of lift them up every so often and give them a reason to be optimistic or cheerful, whatever that is. And the other thing that I learned, it's a bit of theory. and I encourage everyone to have a little Google of this when they get some time. It's a model by Lencioni called the five dysfunctions of a team. And it's a bit like Maslow's kind of hierarchy of needs in a, a triangle model. When I think back on my career, when have I worked in really high-performing, driven, self-organizing teams, we've kind of achieved Lencioni's model without thinking about it. So if anybody's listening and they're thinking, the team that I'm working with is not quite performing to the standard that I require them to, or I'd like them to, or there's a team over there in a different department that look a little bit dysfunctional. I'd share this model. It was a great bit of theory and I've rolled this out ever since I became aware of it, but it, it showed me from a leadership angle, there is a structure here that you can create. There's an environment that you can create, and there is a, a framework here to enable colleagues to create a great working team. That is very, very useful. What is your next goal or milestone or project in order to continue improving on mental health around the employee life cycle? I love to innovate. And I got thinking the other day about our induction program. Like I said earlier, we've got colleagues across lots of different countries. Now, how do we get colleagues to feel like they're part of the business immediately? They'll have got a little bit of a feeling through the interview process, but um, there'll still be a bit of unknown. What, what does that first day look like? How do we want people to feel? How do we want people to feel after the first week? How do we want people to feel after the first month? So I started with a blank sheet of paper. What would I love to go through as a new employee to a business? And I then used some of my experiences that I've had recently and in other companies where I felt amazing. You know, you know those days where you're really nailing it. You, you want to come to work. You, know, you bounce out of bed and you go to your home office or you come to the office at work and you really are energized. You're self-motivated. What made me feel like that? One of the ways that I think we can do that is the escape rooms type uh, environment, you know, where you have to solve lots of puzzles as a mm -hmm. team, you know, 
the hour just absolutely flies by. You get to a resolution by the end of it, and hopefully it's a successful one. You know, hopefully you escape the room. <laughs> so I'm going to build a company-specific escape rooms, and it's going to be to solve lots of little challenges. Some of them will be generic challenges. Some of them will be challenges about the organization and when we were founded, who's our CFO or whatever, you know, stuff like that. And I think that'll resonate well with lots of colleagues because we're all a little bit competitive. It'll also give everyone something to talk about. It'll get that induction group that have joined together that might not necessarily have anything in common other than the fact they've joined the same company on the same day. Um, it'll give them something to link back to when they do meet each other or if they need to work together and say, look, we, we can do this, right? Yeah. We work together to get out of that room that we were locked in. So that's, that's just one of the ideas I'm playing around with in my head at the moment. That's amazing. I love this ideas outside of the box. Let's try something different. It might work. It might not. Absolutely. Like I said, our, our industry is so young. There is still so much room for innovation. Yeah. So I'm really excited to try all of this out, test it, learn it, experiment. If it doesn't work, we'll throw it away. We'll try something new. I'll encourage everybody that's listening to this, try something new and feel free to reach out if you've got any ideas or be part of the various groups that uh, are open for HR professionals and share some of these learnings because that's the way we're going to get better as an industry. That's the way we're going to get better as a society. This goes back to that motivation that we're all looking for in, in our lives and our work. If we can make society a better place, that's an incredible place to be. And people spend so much time at work, often 10, 12 hours a day, that we have a great opportunity to instill and embed a lot of great values that are shared amongst um, amongst all of us. So yeah, that's a bit of an altruistic end to all of this, but I'm, uh, yeah, you can see how passionate I am about this. Yeah, thank you so much for your enthusiasm. It was really, really nice talking to you. I'm looking forward to hear how this initiative goes and I wish you the best. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, likewise. Mental Health at Work is hosted by Maite Otero, produced by myself, Simon Dumont, and brought to you by Oliva, proper mental health care for the whole team. Huge thank you to Abbas for not holding back with his story and for making me want to turn my workplace into the crystal maze. If you're looking to sell some custom merch online, Motif can help. Next up, it's Celia Leroyakunu, head of HR at Foodie. Until next time. <laughs>